When you live to ticket before you kick it, it's pretty important that you power your adventure with the right nutrition. Not just when you decide to take on the biggest physical and mental challenge of your life, like I did retracing the 1928 Tour de France, but also as a part of everyday living. Working overtime on a double shift, running the kids all over town to their sporting events, adding a few extra miles to your weekly hike, or getting sleep deprived with a hectic travel schedule. I'm proud to announce Bucket Nutrition is now an official sponsor of our podcast and just for you, giving a 10% discount on all Bucket Nutritional products. Go to Amazon.com and use promo code Bucket10, that's Bucket with an IT, 10, for a 10% discount on Bucket Nutritional products. Great tasting, high performance nutrition to help you take it before you kick it. Mustering up every ounce of courage he has, a comedian with a Pakistani Muslim father is about to go on stage to announce a secret that she's been warned to keep under wraps or it could end her career. She says it's like cliff jumping. The longer that she waits to take the plunge, the more she envisions her guts rising up into her throat and then the burn of a belly flop before smacking her head on a rock. Diving headfirst, Sabrina Jalees faces the audience, grabs the mic, and comes clean with a lie that she's been living with for far too long. It's showtime. I knew I couldn't go back. You just put it out there. She said you've got less than a year to live. Just dug even deeper. Luck is the residue of design. Nobody else was doing it, so I couldn't. That was the turning point. Welcome to the Bucket Podcast with Phil Kogan. Every week I talk to mavericks, disruptors, and innovators. People who ditch the excuses, swerve off the predictable road, and epitomize what it means to ticket before you kick it. I still felt like, well, I can't be gay. Gay gets canceled. Gay is like a lady with an axe and a flannel shirt, and I, I had no frame of reference. Sabrina Jaliz is a comedian, writer, and actor who's been described as the lesbian Ray Romano that we've all been waiting for. She started doing stand-up when she was 16, and she's been making people laugh ever since on series like The Comedy Lineup, Last Comic Standing, and Just for Laughs. She's now on CBS's brand new series called Carol's Second Act, starring Patricia Heaton. After working up the courage to tell the Muslim side of her family she was coming out, she was then shunned by them. Sabrina learned the hard way that standing up and taking pride in who she is would not only enhance her material as a comedian, but would lead to a fulfilling life full of crazy coincidences, life-changing surf lessons, and an entirely unexpected career path. She's now on primetime TV and proudly representing something that she thought was unimaginable as a kid. So welcome to our uh, humble abode. Thank you. It's uh, so great to meet you. When I say our humble abode, I mean... You know, this is CBS. CBS is loft. Which... This is CBS is loft, and thankfully they let us come and hang out up here. Yeah, it's nice and cool. You know, this is the building that we did our press shots for Carol's second act. It did it right here. Did it right here. Carol's second act, and and uh, is this, if I'm not mistaken, your first act as a like uh, as an actor? A, yeah, as an actor. It's my I first. Mean, yeah. Okay, I love this story. Right? I feel You're like a writer. I'm totally bamboozling the system. But yeah, everyone's a real actor on the show and I'm just there, you know, checking out the snacks and saying my lines. Now, what does it mean to be a real actor? I mean, you'd be an I actor I think I mean like life. doing lots of episodes of TV. Yeah. Not getting the note from the director that's like, okay, so Sabrina, after you say your line, remember that you're still in the scene. <laughs> like I was like literally just being like, yeah, Carol. And then like, hmm, celery. Yeah. You know? <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, so you, you you end up. I mean, this must be people dream of this kind of scenario. And you they can't should. Write it's this really stuff. good. Yes, it's a great gig, and you get to work with like world class actors, and yeah, here you are. Yeah, just you know, I'm like gay. Ray Romano. When you say you're gay, you're like feeling gay or you're gay? Yeah, like happy. Yeah, oh, happy to, gay. Yeah, I would never, and <laughs> my husband would be furious. <laughs> yes. Um, no, you're, I'm, actually, I'm gay in both ways. You're sort of gay gay. I'm double gay, gay you're squared. You're double gay. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it feels like I'm to like a total simulation. And what was it like when you, I mean, what was your big break? For me? Yeah. Oh boy. I mean, I was 19 and I was uh, behind the camera and I was a camera assistant and uh, somebody didn't turn up for an audition. This is a true story. And, really? And, yeah, and they were like, um, we need someone to like go in the camp. Why don't you audition? So I auditioned and then I ended up getting yeah, a man, gig. Yeah, man, bamboozlers. <laughs> we're bamboozlers. <laughs> it's like, you know, sometimes things happen when you just don't expect them to happen and then it's kind of cool. Yeah, I guess the best things happen in that way. It's, yeah. it, don't you find like forcing it? I mean, there was definitely, it's not like a, it's, never been a dream of mine to act. I started doing stand up when I was 16 yes. and um, and started writing on TV shows four years ago. And of course it's like a dream to be the person saying the lines that you're writing. Right. But I just wasn't focused on that because I honestly like didn't see myself as castable, you know? Like I just didn't see my, because I didn't look like a lot of people on TV. But that's been a big part of your life, right? I mean, you, yeah. your father is... My father's Pakistani. Pakistani. My mother is Swiss. Okay. One of my first stand-up jokes was like, I guess that makes me piss. <laughs> so don't look into the archives for highbrow humor. <laughs> but a lot of my the beginning of my stand-up was very much like talking about race and talking about having a Pakistani father and being half Pakistani. But like it was right after 9-11 that I started. Yes. And it was kind of just this vibe where I didn't, I seem like I'm Italian or Hispanic and people would say racist things against Pakistanis or Muslims and that's like my family. So I right. kind of started stand up as a reaction to that Islamophobia. But we have something in common, which is uh, I hosted like an amazing race style show for kids called In Real Life for three seasons. No, you did not. You got to look it up, look up the teasers. Really? Yeah. And I actually studied your voiceover work to, when I went into the booth. Come on. Yeah. You did? Yeah. Can you, let me hear a little bit. Um, you know, well, it would be like, uh, Candace approaching the finish line. <laughs> you know, you got to care about it. Joshua, right hot on her tail. <laughs> you got to care. You got to care about the race. Yeah. Well, you know what it is, too, mm. is that when you're on it, when you're doing that kind of voiceover in a show where there's so much music and mixed effects and mm -hmm. there's so much going on, you have to kind of pitch your voice a little higher like the energy has to be a little higher otherwise it gets totally buried in, yes. the, in the mix so I remember the first time I was doing it it felt like I was just going over the top yeah just yeah, like yeah. You were. it's a little bit it's yeah, too you much gotta be a little bit of a lunatic right yeah I, you know you want to dial it back but then you have to go 25 percent higher than you feel like is right mm -hmm. and then it's but how great is voiceover it's right just like there. a job 16 16. 16 you get a chance to like do my some, age my current you, age you, so you go to we do i was 16 when i started stand up yeah, yeah. so you start stand up and and you gravitated towards that why because you just seemed like really well-adjusted people 
really nurturing to uh, yeah. diverse women. There's no, ha- there's no hecklers in, in stand-up, no, right? No, just like, but I really did treat it like it was like an extracurricular activity for me. And why? I was, why subject I yourself attention. to that? We want people to look at us. Yeah, we want true. to uh, tell stories. Yes. That was always something for me. I had this huge Pakistani family and I was almost already doing stand-up with them. And then you I made started your family performing. Laugh. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, and I mean, I had a mustache at 12, so I kind of had to. There's no way around. You can't be like a serious girl with a mustache. You got to pep it up, you know, right. <laughs> so you, cut the tension. <laughs> so you loved, you loved entertaining your family? and I loved entertaining my family. I started performing in high school assemblies, kind of already writing my own stand-up. And then I realized I started going to see stand-up because the prices were like, cheaper than the movies yeah and sitting in the front row they would they would give us attention you know they would joke about how young we were so i was like this is perfect yeah and then i as, as soon as i started going to see live stand up i had this feeling inside that was like you gotta grab that mic and start talking right and you loved the idea that you could control that room right like they were oh, listening yeah. to you yeah i mean like as a teenage girl it's like how many moments do you have like that to really just like be the boss of the moment for all these drunk adults yeah it felt amazing. And what was yeah. what was your what was your the topic of your stand up? It was a lot about you know having having a Pakistani dad, uh, you know having a Muslim family around this time where there was it was tense. You know there just like when SARS broke and it was like oh, are you going to sit next to that Asian person? Mm-hmm. It was like right after nine eleven, every brown person was kind of a suspect, and with that tension, you know to pop that tension, it felt incredible. A lot of my stand up i mean even probably now it's it's topics that at one point were embarrassing to me and and in starting to do stand up that just there was this realization that like if i can write about this and and kind of own it then these embarrassing things all of a sudden are empowering things so i remember just feeling like writing about my having a mustache and then having girls come up to me after being like you know like i dealt with the same thing and it's so fun that you're talking about it and just you know feeling like wow it's incredible i mean like also just that we're at this time where now of course there are there's mindy kaling there's uh you know Aziz Ansari, there's like, there's brown representation, there's female representation, there's Tina Fey, there's Amy Poehler, there are these icons, but when I was younger, there wa- it, wasn't, it wasn't so mixed out there. So mm-hmm. just the idea that, te- that grabbing the mic and telling these stories was new and fresh and that I could, you know, that I was a part of that was so exciting for me. It's interesting you to talk about that because you were saying like the really the only brown face that you recognized or saw was on The Simpsons, right? Yeah, Apu. And it was like he just served as a punchline for his identity was a punchline. Right. You know, but you bring up an interesting point too, just the idea that even even with the change in representation with African-American people on television, Mm -hmm. The, the idea of the of Muslim representation or seeing somebody who was sort of in between yeah. in terms of color yeah. w- was not something that was very prevalent back in 9-11 even. No, no. And it's so cool that that's changing. And I mean, similarly for sexual diversity, just the realization I think that we're having as a society that actually just real honest stories mm. are good business. 
and and a real honest story no matter what your background is gonna you're gonna connect yeah. you know if i write a movie about the way my wife and i made our baby yes maybe i, I want to hear that story maybe, in a second. I, maybe i will <laughs> if i if i write that movie people will relate to it beyond just lesbians right. that are trying to conceive it's you know uh, it's a story with stakes. It's a relationship. It's, you know, we're all so different, but we're all the same kind of thing is what so, I'm saying. So at the time, 2011, if I'm not mistaken, that wasn't too long after Ellen DeGeneres had gone through, so that gone was to hell thing. and back, right? I mean, yeah, it was just like, in, I kind of, I had this realization in doing stand up that like, oh my God, talking about these things that I was embarrassed about that make me different actually is this is this power thing that I can do it's it's like magic um and it's my strength but then when I realized I was gay which was after I started doing stand-up um it I had I like completely forgot that lesson mm. you know how life is where you're like I get it and then it's yeah. like but I will be in the closet because a lot of you know because a lot of the shows that I was booking were like brown you know the brown you're already dealing with that side of it right yeah. you're dealing with the race racism part of it mm -hmm. why go it just seemed like i was too complicated right you've got a the, lot of layers to you yeah and then the legacy of sort of this this story of ellen degeneres coming out on her sitcom and then the sitcom being canceled seemed like well that's a message you know and i never i mean at that time there was never a role you would never see a, a show or a movie with gay people in no. it it wasn't as and and maybe starting to be gay men, but not really. Well, you know, an amazing race. We had the Guidos on, which uh, th there was a couple that we had on Amazing Race, and that was released in two thousand and one mm -hmm. as well. And to the best of my knowledge, it was the first time that an openly gay couple mm. was represented on network Isn't that television. Wild? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, they're an amazing couple. They they called themselves the Guidos because they had a dog called Guido. I assume um, that they qual called themselves the Guidos. Yeah, and yeah. It wasn't because like, of that, the Guidos were on, and that yeah. was our first Italian couple. And so I called them the Guidos. They weren't comfortable. But they were, <laughs> you know, the Pasta Sisters. You know, the Pasta Sisters. But even they, they, it was more acceptable to show openly gay men on television or in the media before it was acceptable to show openly gay women. Yeah, it's also it's just complicated. Weird how so, so many layers. You know, like, oh, well, that's acceptable first. Now we move to this one. and Well, don't you feel like it's kind of about, ultimately, most things, it's about money, you know? That, Explain that. that. These, well, these huge networks, they've got pressure to, to, to have broad appeal. Right. And the broadest possible. The broadest possible appeal. So taking a risk on a character that doesn't seem like, you know, doesn't seem relatable, um, I could see why there, there's a hesitation. But financially, men bring money. So gay men, that's, you know, I see. That's a money make. There's all of a sudden there's influence. When there's gay men that, who are comfortable being out, they want to be represented. And then it proves to be actually like not a bad business right. deal. Yep. I think you know. And then there's the whole thing with with equal pay. So you, there's so many layers, right, about how we come into this. And mm -hmm. if you think about just since you started doing stand up in in 2001, how much the world has changed. Yeah. And acceptance. Yeah. Uh, the fact that you can live in a society, not that everybody's fully accepted mm -hmm. your lifestyle, but you, you live in a totally different world and you're working in an industry that's totally different from Ellen DeGeneres when she came out in her sitcom, right? Yeah, so, and, and I'm so God. grateful 
uh, for it. I did this um, this lesbian cruise gig. You know, some of these women are on this cruise, and this is the only place that they can feel comfortable holding their wife's hand. You know, I introduced Shauna as my wife to this woman. Yeah. And she was like, oh, she's your wife, so you own her? <laughs> in, oh. in our day, we, wouldn't, we would never dare call each other our wives. And I was like, okay, well, you'll never be happy. But there's, but there's you know, like, yeah. that, that's baggage from, from a lot of years of feeling like you're way on the outside of society. Yes. And that you don't belong. Yeah. So you, you had that feeling all the way growing up? I had this idea of what was normal. Right. Even still, you know, while I was kind of being queer in terms of talking about having a mustache or talk, like owning these racial aspects of my life, I still felt like, well, I can't be gay. Gay is like, gay gets canceled. Gay is like a lady with an axe and a flannel shirt and, you know, three cats in her pockets. <laughs> it's like gay, you know, I didn't, I, I had no frame of reference. And Neither did my parents, and that would be crushing for them. And it yes. was really difficult for them when I first came out to my parents. Um, when I think, it makes me emotional to think how impossible I thought that, that this life that I have now would be for me back then, you know? In a way, it was an impossible dream for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, it was like, that's not, you know, like coming out to your family was like, yeah, I'm a crackhead, okay? Mm. I like crack. That's what I do. Wow. You like food, I like crack. Okay? Wow. So. <laughs> so w tell, tell us about that. Crack? So, well, no, it was not a good year. You so. need to get off that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> teeth still look good though, yeah. right? <laughs> I was going to say, your teeth look absolutely amazing. You got to cover them with tinfoil. <clears throat> ah, that, that's the trick. So you, you have to tell your mom and dad, and, and I'm figuring... Your dad is more traditional That's than, what I thought. than your mom or not? Well, my dad, well, see, my parents got married. My dad is, you know, comes from this Muslim background, moved to Toronto when he was 20, shortly after met my mom, who had moved, who was also moved, from, moved from outside of Bern, right. um, just to like babysit for a family. Um, and then she was going to go back to Switzerland. But then my dad is like, ah, 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 uh, 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 I, I have other you. plans. <laughs> <laughs> but my parents yes. in the 70s together, that was the, they were the original lesbians. It's like, you know, this white lady and this brown guy holding hands at the mall. It's like. Yeah, what's that? What is that? Yeah. Um, and so they dealt with all of. So, so, they, they, so they knew what that. it was like in yeah. a way to be queer, to be like uh, misunderstood and not supposed to be together. Um, and looked at still, all the time, but, right? Like. Yeah, totally. Judged and like, our, sometimes, like, if you go to a really white neighborhood, our family, like, even, you know, I guess it was, like, the 90s, but people would look at us like we're a weird group of friends, you mm. know? <laughs> but but even so, they, my mom's reaction, I told my mom first, because I figured she's the white one, so she'll take this better, but she was way more emotional um, about it. And Do you she remember just, this specific moment? Yeah, we were in the kitchen and she was chopping something and I was like, she's not looking at me. This is you a good window. You did it window. while she had a knife in her hand? Right? Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> um, and I just, I, I was in a relationship. Yeah. And I told her and kind of presented it as like, I'm in this relationship, but uh, with a woman, but I don't, you know, I might, I'm probably bisexual, which kind of like softens the blow a little bit. Does it though? Is it easier for someone to hear that someone's bisexual? Because then I think that you know, there's this idea that like, well, there's a glimmer. There's a of chance. Hope. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a chance that the, yeah, this she'll is go what's happening right way. now. Okay. But uh, stay tuned. Yeah, she's only 16. Maybe check she'll... out the promo for next week. Yeah, <laughs> stay tuned. You don't know. Um, but 
and I think that that also gave her this feeling of like, well, if you know, if you can choose <clears throat> that this is going to be a hard life and people are going to judge you, which, you know, you grow up and you come into yourself and you realize like, you know, er people are going to judge you no matter who you are, what yeah. you're doing, you know, that's, it, you're not going to escape judgment. So it's like, so, you know, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, should I try what, whether it's dating women or like, being a fitness instructor, <laughs> do it, you know? Yeah, the, the first relationship that you had, um, that, that first moment where you realized that you were physically attracted and that that was what you- It just felt like this epic kind of, I had been forcing this peg into a square for so long and if you Google me and you, which I know you are, <laughs> but if you Google me and you look at like my first headshots, it's yes. like, it's wild, it's like a different person and I was, I was in drag, you know? Yeah. It wasn't the clothes that I was comfortable in, but it was the clothes that I felt castable in. Right. You know? This is how and I'm gonna be accepted. Which, yeah, which, you know, you look back and you wish that you could say to that person, the way that you're gonna be cast is when you are flying, when mm. you are set up to succeed, when you feel comfortable, when you're that's in the gonna zone. be, yeah, yeah, that's gonna be, even just with getting cast on this show, it's wild because it was truly when I stopped auditioning, I started writing and figured, I'm gonna just cast myself in something that people were like, hey, come audition for this. Right, so it kind of worked out, yeah. And th your, your, your dad now, tell, tell so me I told, what So then I told dad. my mom on a Friday, and then she started just like, <clears throat> she was obviously just like so sad. And I told her, I don't wanna tell dad yet. And then by Sunday, she was like, you have to tell dad, I can't hold this in, right. you know? So I remember this, this long walk up the steps. You know when you're like about, I mean, it feels like you're jumping off a cliff, these conversations, Your you know, where it's like, yeah, it's because the other thing is <clears> I knew <throat> that she was having such a hard time. If my dad had a, had a poor reaction, then it would just be like, all right, the ship's going down. And I told him, because my mom's other thing was kind of like, I don't believe you, which was like a weird sort of like denial thing yeah like ashton kutcher is going to jump out of the other room it was right. in the punked era yeah. <laughs> you've been dyked <laughs> but <laughs> but so i said dad you know I, I told mom this thing and she doesn't believe me and i just you know i love you and i am i'm dating this girl and you know i th i think i you know i'm i'm in love with her and his first reaction was like, well, you guys are, you know, you're not liars and I believe you and I love you and everything's going to be okay, which was so sweet, you wow. know? And it's kind of like, I, I see it now in retrospect, my mother was really dealing with it. My mother was really taking it all in and imagining every horrific thing that could happen with this. Because she's concerned about you. Yes, and, and she was, but she really dove into what that meant and mm. really accept in, in the long term. Even though, ironically, she was the one that was like, "I don't believe you." She ultimately had a, had an easier ride with it long term. My dad was sort of had this more typically masculine sort of reaction, which was also really needed in that moment. Which was like, "We're gonna get through this. It's gonna be okay." But then, like you know, cut to a year later, I'm like, I'm going to a gay bar. Let's keep this fresh. You guys remember, I'm gay. Like you got to keep, you got to keep coming out. Otherwise, they think. Have you put you it in the closet. Out? Have you yeah. checked out yeah. your cousin's friend? <laughs> um, but yeah, you got to keep on reminding them. And my my mom would be like, Oh, tell, let me know if you meet someone. And my dad would be like, Still with this gay thing? <laughs> That's still happening. <laughs> so your dad was was my dad was <clears throat> was more accepting than you thought he was going to yes. be 
Your family, however, your extended family, oh, man, that was were they less accepting than you thought they would be? Or was that what so, you expected? The extended Muslim family? Yeah. Uh, they were like, perfect. We love this. This is great for our oh, family. We're, we're so accepting. We actually were waiting for someone to we come out. We wanted to be just like can't cool, Can't wait to meet your 10 wives. <laughs> <laughs> as long as you marry 10 women. No, they were like horrified and it was horrifying. And it was, you know, my partially looking back, I know... What happened was it was I was so disconnected. They were so disconnected from my process. And when I came, it took me a long time to admit to myself because of the stigma that I was gay. So both when you come out, you're sort of blindsiding people. They feel sort of lied to. They feel and and looking at it from their perspective, I can see why. However, the way it was all so. I wanted to come out to my family for a long, a longer amount of time than I, I came out to them so after did, I was married to Shauna. Right. So did your parents say, don't My tell dad the was like, you know, don't, sh don't shake the water. Keep it cool. You know, secrets are cool. Uh, I see. <laughs> it's like, how long am I going to keep the secret? I'm going to show up to family things. What, with what like, do they call it in the military? Don't uh, ask, don't tell. Don't ask, don't and tell. definitely don't tell yeah. if asked. Let me ask, <laughs> let me ask you a, a, a pointed question, actually. Yeah. Is it racist? Oh, it's sharp this question yes very sharp is it racist to imitate someone's accent i mean it seems like things are shifting right it seems like the perception around it, it i think to me it's so much about what the intention i certainly do different accents yeah. i get away with it because i'm half brown i don't th I, to me I, I have white friends that do accents with me i don't i really it's the Personally, context, like, don't you think? it doesn't feel to me like they're being racist to right. me. I do think that, you know, exactly. If the context, if you, Phil, were telling a story about, like, yeah, I'm in traffic and this, <clears throat> you know, dumb packy is just, like, slowly right. driving. So, I, you know, he, what is this, you know, and then launch the, into the reason I ask that this, accent. The reason I ask is I, I, I mentioned I was born in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. I lived in Canada, so I did a little Canadian accent. Then I lived in... Well, the, the Canadians are already tweeting in yeah i love canada <laughs> i was a landed canadian immigrant uh, for a while uh and then i lived in the caribbean for eight years mm -hmm. and i lived in australia then new zealand and i came to america essentially my accent is so messed up but i've had like all these distinctive accents yeah. so i love accents so yeah. i do all kinds of accents yeah yeah, yeah. so and and then here's I, the thing that i think is is a positive way that we're going in terms of restricting people from these accents is like i think you know we come from a place where like my dad was actually showed me this old show. I forget what it was called, but he's like, you're going to love this, Mina. And it's a white man in brown face acting like a dumb butler that's Pakistani and doing like or Indian. And he's doing the accent. And, oh, no, I messed up the tea again. And it's like, this is really racist. Like the, the impact that that makes is negative. Right. And I think, you know, a lot of comics have problems with how bloggers or people on the Internet will respond to to their jokes like Chappelle or Seinfeld yes. saying he doesn't play colleges but it's like how can you be someone that is so you know has these opinions with such conviction and then bar other people from having opinions right. about your work right do you feel like as a comedian as a writer you've got to tiptoe around things that you didn't have to even a few years ago like you, you um, there's another filter there's that you definitely you know no one wants to have their inbox or their Twitter mentions filled with like you did something wrong and it right. happened to me once but uh, I was doing this fundraiser called Nasty Woman 
after the election, my friend Alana Glazer and I put put it together. It was supposed to be this. The first one was supposed to be this um, celebration of our first female president. Uh, so sad. And then we instead made it a fundraiser uh, for a women's shelter. And it was kind of like a vigil. It was the day after the election. And it felt everyone felt very raw. Anyways, I was like, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to make it monthly. The first poster was Hillary Clinton, like in the nasty Janet Jackson, Rolling Stones cover pose. The second one, I was like, Michelle Obama, I'll do that. It'll say nasty woman. And the person that was drawing the poster was like, are you sure with Michelle Obama? And I'm like, why? It's like racist for me to think not to do it because she's black. Why why would I not have Michelle Obama in that pose? And then I put it online. I'm sitting in the writer's room. And I get like, I'm like, I guess one of my tweets went viral and I open it and it's like, people are furious. And the way, how fast things go is kind of scary. It wasn't the same reaction with with Hillary. Hillary. No reaction to Hillary. But with Michelle, what I learned was, you know, within the black community, it's very known that Michelle's body has been objectified in ways, uh, you know, people, people have, her body has been in more of a microscope and that also just putting the words of the president it was all very like fresh and sensitive with this poster that's kind of provocative of the first lady um it just it was it it was not cool for a lot of people and then the messaging on twitter was like look at these white feminists this is typical white feminism and i'm like i'm brown and like there's like Mm. barely any white people on this list like my friend aparna nanchurla's name was on it's like a bunch of white ladies getting together how the scary thing is how fast you know, things it, it just takes sort of a, a turn. Yeah. Yeah. And, but and I, people create their own truths. And right. I took it down and I apologized. You know, there's always when you misstep that way, there's the first feeling from the sting is kind of your ego being like, well, wait, I'm, you know, I'm brown, mm. so I should. But when you step back, it's like, I'm happy for that. I was, I'm happy that that happened. I learned something from it. And we have to, all of us have to, right? And what does it cost me to take the poster down and to say, like, if if it's hurting people, that certainly was not the point of the fundraiser. Um, I think we're all becoming a little bit smarter and a little bit more intentional about the things that we're saying. And not to say that you or I won't misstep, but I do trust that when the intention is right, you don't don't have to be worried about getting canceled. You know, it's like these men, there's certain... Men that have this reaction to the Me Too and Time's Up that's like, oh, I can't, I can't, well, you know, like there's this feeling of like, can't do anything. It's like, no, just don't rape women. I mean, like don't, and don't treat women like they're a piece of meat because that's kind of, and that's the difference between someone who's canceled and not is that they have a legacy around them of, of treating women like not humans. Yeah. That's when you should be worried when no one can vouch for you. And you can, I think that like, there's something actually really beautiful about the vulnerability of making a mistake and saying, wow, that wasn't my finest moment. Right. And if you are a comedian, you need to be right on the edge of what's acceptable and not because that the provocative part of it is what makes people react. Right. Sure. So you've got to teeter on the edge of not offending people, but also maybe maybe being honest and laughing about some of the things. In life, there are, you know, racial generalizations. There are. But at the same time, if you are a white comic and your passion is to point out you know, this thing that you've noticed about Asians, it's like, maybe just get better material. Maybe people just want smarter stuff. Yeah. 
to push them. Yeah. So where, where do you get all your inspiration Asian from? people, and I think they're hilarious. You know, the <laughs> rice, the sushi. <laughs> um, I, I, you just watch people? What's your thing? I I mean, like, I, I'm, I'm pretty self-centered. It's, it's a lot about me. These days it's a lot about Wolfie being a new mom that's also a dad. Um, you know, how we made Wolfie. And so <gasps> yes. into that story, it was so magic. And um, do you know how we made Wolfie? Yeah, I wanted to, okay, I want well, to hear about it. But well, first of all, can you give us, the, well, set up to who your wife is first. Okay, my right? wife is yes. Shauna, gorgeous, okay. little Irish lady. Yes. Uh, met how her did you in meet? San Francisco. Yes. Literally like had, was brokenhearted, took a sip of my gin and tonic. Before I took a sip, I was like, I told my friend. Why I was were you like, brokenhearted? Because someone broke up. Could you imagine? I can't imagine that. You Could mean they you walked away from you? Someone and that beautiful smile of yours? And found another love so quickly. <laughs> and I was just. So you were crying into a gin and tonic? So I was crying into a gin and tonic. And I just said, I mean, like, it, you know, maybe you don't remember what it's like to be single. Oh, I, I but, remember. But you know, that feeling of looking around and thinking, like, I am never going to be attracted to anyone again. And I said that, took a sip of the magic gin and tonic looked over and Shauna was dancing Boom, and she was so, she just looked like so much fun. And I was like, I want to be at that party. And so I just tried to talk to her for like two hours, just, but like, I knew the stakes were high, you know? And I just felt like my palms were sweaty and I was Stakes were like, high because why? Because, because I just knew she was a special person. She just seemed so, so cool. it was attraction at first sight. And mm -hmm. then we got married in Vermont. It was so awesome. And, and what happened when the family, when the invites went out? What happened okay, with family? So here's what happened. So what happened was I didn't invite them. And because I had not come out to them. So then the email that went out after I got married was sort of like, hey, guys, I just wanted to let you know some cool news. I'm I'm like. I'm married and this is my wife. This is a picture of us at the wedding. And um, I, I was, it was hard for me to tell you guys, but I'm gay and I just want you to know that I'm happy and I'm the same person that you love and I uh, love you guys. And then what kind of, then it just sort of spun out and it was just became this thing of like, it was like tragic for them. For them in their world, like accepting it was like, accepting an invitation to hell you know in their in in within their rules and in their culture Do you understand that yeah I, I, yeah and and you know you look back on things and you can always do things differently i probably would have come out sooner but at the same time like y the reaction was always going to be you know one of my aunts was like we could if you told us sooner we could have fixed you fixed you yeah so it's you're talking in different languages, you know, you're playing in completely different game boards. And and so it was just, you know, one of my cousins wrote basically no one replied. And, and the vibe was sort of like she's out of the family. And, yeah. and someone wrote that wrote so much in an email. One of my favorite cousins wrote like, you know, we cannot accept this. Um, you know, she used to be feel? this like uh, like I was dead to them. It, it felt horrible, horrible. But did you feel did it make you feel sad or sad that they didn't understand who you really were sad that they didn't they couldn't see the world in a different way or sad because you've you 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 felt lost you know you you all of it i mean like it. there was not one but i mean to call you back i felt eliminated you know yeah i i felt like that so then that's it for me it like who i am is not acceptable 
in their world. You're the same girl that they fed, that they held, yeah, that, that they loved, the that they is. walked and played with. And just the idea that you've chosen this different lifestyle and somehow you're, you're now not Done. a part of their life. Yeah. It just That part just seems so sad. Yes, that is a, a tragic part that people can uh, disassociate from yeah. the love that they have for you because of your identity. And at the same time, I know with with time and you heal, you start having empathy where you're like, okay, well, yeah, that makes sense. Like, it's just so, it would be so embarrassing and so for people to find out that, you know, Bina's a lesbian, it's like, I had a problem with it and I was like hanging out, like I knew gay people and I still was like, oh, I'm not a lesbian. And these, these you know, in their world, that they, they don't have any, as little frame of reference as I had from the lack of representation and my mom, my parents had, they were like on a complete other island where this meant, you know, to accept, it, it's almost too, it's, it's sort of like a, a dramatic negotiation of like, oh, this is who you are? You know, they have these kids, my, I, we're the older cousins and we're supposed to be rep making a good example. example setting, yeah. setting a good example. Setting a good example. And instead, what what I was doing was kind of saying, screw the rules, be yourself. And that's not part of the rules in that culture. It's very well, much about living your life in a way that your parents, to make your parents proud. And, and the only way, to your point before about other people leading the way, like Ellen, who mm -hmm. led the way in coming out, mm -hmm. and the people that came before you that helped make certain parts of your life easier, mm -hmm. you're doing the same for that next generation. Uh, do you and ever, I charge a small fee. And uh, what is that fee? It's simply $25 a month for a good example for queer Browns. <laughs> what, what was your wife's family? My were wife's they, family, she's, so she comes from or? an Irish Catholic family and they were horrified too. Oh my God. So but you now guys if you look at my phone, my mother-in-law is probably, you know, she's, she loves me. She texts me really? these Irish Well, how could Irish she not fall in love with you, right? Yeah. So, so they were, they were initially kind of yeah, but they bounced into it. Um, what do you a lot think? Faster. What do you think? I, I mean, think apart seeing from your love, charm. I think seeing love. I think <clears> you picture it literally like anything that you have no relationship with that has kind of a scary representation or a stigma in society. You say that thing and you associate it with someone that you love that you want the best things for, and immediately it's a montage of like, oh, she's gonna shave her head and get addicted to drugs. You know, it's like it's this. Every, you picture the the worst of it the worst of it until you see you know Shauna and I supporting each other loving each other making each other's lives better and being in a marriage that I think is aspirational we work hard on yeah. it and and all of a sudden it's like oh this this there's no world in which these people aren't in love right you know you human to humanize it which I think is like such a beautiful part with this sitcom uh, Carol's second act, which yes. is on CBS Thursdays at nine thirty. Yeah, nice plug. Yeah, but but and we are going to talk about it. Well, but that <clears throat> I, I'm casually gay on the show. I'm gay, and that's part of. And I'm a doctor, and that you know, bringing bringing characters, diverse characters, that story, bringing that story, and not making the story like, and she had to come out, and it was just so hard, and because that's you know the first step in in telling that story is that, and it's an important coming out stories are rich and have drama and all of that, but isn't it nice that that like this huge network gets to have just like just 
this character gets to have fun. And it's representative of something that exists. This, these, these stories exist in the real world, except that some people just want to pretend that they don't exist. Yes. So, okay, so your wife, uh, you and your wife are obviously in love. Yeah. Um, you, you go on a holiday. Um, mm-hmm. having you know a romantic story. time together. <laughs> well, actually, uh, she that that holiday in Mexico you're talking about, yeah. Wolfie, right? So that holiday, we get there and she we eat some like delicious local tacos, and uh, and say what you want about white power, but it does not exist in a white lady's belly. She just immediately just like puking, crapping. She's just like full food poisoning, and I have the day di- you didn't like that. I- <laughs> I'm sure she didn't like I, I that just, detail I either. think you made it too visual. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the way you described it. Anyway, she was not I well. I went straight from white power to diarrhea. Yeah. And, oh. Okay, so, but she was not doing well, so I took a surf lesson. She wanted, you know, the Airbnb to herself. Yeah, she needed some privacy. And my surf instructor was just like, again, like, you know, you meet people. Yeah. When you met your person, was it a feeling? Was it this? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's this feeling like this Absolutely. is an important person. And, and similarly, when I met... Well, I don't think it happens very often in life. I think that's why you know. Yeah. Because in life, I don't think... Well, we're not having it. And we've been talking for hours. Yeah, exactly. And it's still just like, yeah, when are we going to be attracted strain, to each other? Yeah. God. <laughs> um, so <laughs> so we were in... So so I take the surf lesson. And he's he's got also... His skin is like just like mine... He's got this beautiful face, gorgeous like me. <laughs> and you're uh, like, oh my God, it's a male version of me. It's like and, truly, yeah. If uh, you put me in, give me abs. If I like, turned into a man, this is me. Yes, totally. Me with a six pack. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I just, I, I really felt connected to him. And we drank some mezcal after because Shauna was sick. And, you know, I had the day and, and started chatting. And his mom is a scientist and his dad is a police chief. And he's just this soulful, beautiful dude and um i just like had this feeling and so i talked to shauna about it and she was like you're crazy then she met him and she immediately after like one quick exchange she was like you can ask him and shauna eight years ago i met her in san francisco she loves incense crystals you know we spend so much money on rocks but she is like this intuitive you know this witchy woman and so eight years ago she had a dream about wolves and she woke up and she was like our baby's name is wolfie and I was like, okay, my mom's going to be mad, but like, cool. <laughs> Sounds good. And, uh, and I take the second surf lesson with him. And does he not have, I notice on his back, a tattoo of a wolf? Just like right there. And it's the exact same crop of the wolf and style as this plate that we got as a joke present the year before, like the Christmas trip before from our friends. And it said mom in the corner. So it's like, I know that if you're looking for signs, you're going to find signs. Like there's people that are like, oh my God, I just good. quit smoking and there's a stop sign right <clears throat> there. And it's like, <laughs> I know it, it can be like, uh, you can get liberal about signs. But yeah, like, but sometimes I mean, it's nice to follow Sometimes the signs. there's a wolf on your donor's back and you got to get that jizz. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> is it this kind of podcast or is that cut? Absolutely. No, okay. that's, that'll, that'll, that'll fly. So, so then I asked him in the water and again, you know, jumping off okay, the cliff. Well, so, all right. All right. So it's, you're in the water. Yeah. Just how do you approach that subject? Wow. It, that was a great wave. <laughs> Loving Could this we? lesson. <laughs> <laughs> do you mind if I catch your seventh wave? Um, so h- how does that happen? Just love your DNA. I dude. just love it. Uh, it was, it was interestingly like so much like surfing. 
you know, like when you when you're gonna catch the wave that's gonna take you, it's there's so many things that you've got to wait for the right moment. You got to stand in the right way, and it's the difference between like you're a hero and this is happening, or like now the ocean does not that want you totally, in it. And yeah, this was inappropriate. That was like, not good. Just, right. <laughs> so you so you say to him, you've known him for a couple of days now. Yeah, and, you, and I said. Um, hey, I've never asked anyone this and I don't want you to feel any pressure. Um, but my wife and I, we'd like to have a baby and we were talking and we really like you and we were wondering if you'd be interested in helping us. Wow. And he like was surprised and looked at me and was kind of like blushing or like, you know, taken aback. And then his response was, that sounds interesting. He was like, I don't know how that works, but you guys are a beautiful couple. And if I can help you, then I'm interested. Wow. Yeah. And we vacationed with him and got to know him and got him tested and did some paperwork stuff. And then, you know, there's this thing that you can pee on to tell when you're ovulating. And, and we got the smiley face and we, and we inseminated, we did it like, I want to talk about it too, because I feel like part of what, definitely made me sad about making a family when I realized I was gay was like, oh, it's going to be this huge, expensive thing. And certainly, I mean, whether you're gay or straight, no one's entitled to one pregnancy path. And Wolfie is now how He's old? He's a year and a half. He'll be two at the end of January. Is that a story you can share openly with your mom and dad? They, yeah, of yeah, course. Cool with it? I mean, they love a discount. <laughs> <laughs> So we should we should really talk about this new show yes. and, and and the fact that you're now acting on a the CBS I believe is the biggest network in the world and you're on this huge series with uh, a, a comedic icon amazing um, yeah so tell us about the show and well you mentioned your role um, yeah I play Dr Lexi Galani so I mean like. Uh, Perfect. Really on the come up with my Brown family. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, in and a I weird kind of way, play... you've lived up to their expectations. I right? know, like, right? <laughs> the income's not bad either. Yeah. I mean, she's a doctor. She's yeah, a doctor. She's a doctor. Yeah. yeah, totally straight. Yeah, not really, but anyway, she's a doctor. I can show you pictures. She's a doctor. Yeah, yeah she's a doctor, and she'll come <laughs> she, around. You know, there's, she's she's going to cure herself she's more of her bisexual yeah. than anything. <laughs> So yeah, it's it's a multicam set in a hospital, and the cast is just super fun. And it's it's uh, the pilot is uh, the, our, all of our first days being a doctor. So we're just all there trying not to kill people, trying to get by, and trying to be good doctors while also. Uh, I mean, <clears throat> Carol's character, Patty's character, is super funny. She's yes. like a total meddler. She cannot leave well enough alone, and so she just you know, steps in it constantly because she's always trying to, I mean, she, th what I love about the show is it's, um, it follows Patricia Heaton, Carol's second act. It's, it, it speaks to, she, she was a teacher, her husband leaves her and she's like, screw it. I'm going to be a doctor. So she goes to med school and now so she's, she's older than all of the rest of the older other than doctors. All the rest, yeah. And what I love about it is that it, um, all of the things that make her different, um, she's, you know, double everyone's age, um, actually, and she's a, a mom, she was a teacher, it, it makes her a stronger doctor. Mm -hmm. And I think that's such a fun part about life. We've kind of touched on it throughout this chat where it's like, it is kind of the flow of things. And, and 
that that unexpected things um the things that make you nervous like for her to to like take this huge risk and go to med school all the things that make her an unlikely candidate actually make her an amazing doctor right. she brings all of that back to being a better doctor yeah. she's got something that none of the other doctors the young doctors like yourself have right she a has huge that life house experience in montana and- <laughs> I mean, also, like, I'm, like, starstruck. Like, Patty, I what watched... What was that like for you? Because you, you oh, mentioned just, this is your you know, first for big... me, I'm just, like, be her friend. Like, I just wanted to... You know, she's just... She's such a fun person. Yeah. She really is so real. And she's... Because she didn't get famous till she was in her 30s. So, yeah. and we're all so lucky for that because she's just a real human. Right. So, you obviously have taken a... You know, taken up this new opportunity. Do you see that you'll combine your writing and your acting well guess what yeah i got a script deal with cbs studios baby what yeah you have yeah well because so last year i sold um a show to fox yeah and so it was kind of one of those things where it's like you don't really when one door what's the thing with windows one door, and doors uh, closes you smash another one, one opens. pop out of another yeah. one yeah it was yeah. that that one where i i sold the show um i had diablo cody on as an ep and it was a sitcom based on and it was kind of like everybody loves raymond i was watching a lot of raymond and inspired and thought like what if my in-laws moved in next door and just and built a sitcom around that and uh, i wrote it and it was super fun to write and and it seemed like oh, we might shoot this thing. And then we found out we're not shooting the pilot. So I was kind of like, oh, that sucks. But if we'd shot the pilot, I mean, I don't think we would have been able to get the kind of cast that Carol's second act has. And like, you know, it just was like, and then this I just thing stepped into this golden package of a wow. show. Um, well, I'm really excited. But yeah, I'm, I'm always going to be writing. I'm always yeah. going to be doing stand up. I feel is that, like. Is, do, you, do you have a preference of one or the other? Do you, um, do you feel like as excited when you're writing something really good as you do when you're doing stand-up or when you're acting? Do you, do I you get the same feeling? I kind of, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, the feeling of... The outlet of, of just yeah. like uh, well, expressing. There's like, first there's like this kind of the nerves around like, oh, I've got to figure this thing out. But then the, the satisfaction of breaking a story or writing a joke that really hits and really fits for that character is similar to, you know, telling a joke on stage and really connecting with the audience. Yeah. I guess, but I mean, th- there's something about stand up that's irreplaceable for me. Yeah. So my friend Jeffrey jokes, cause we'll, you know, be having dinner and I'll be like, oh, I gotta go do a set. And he's like, oh, daddy's gonna go wheel a suitcase of jokes around town. <laughs> and sometimes it feels like that, you know, I'm doing <clears throat> like, I'll, I just flew to Detroit to do a show for like, 50 people but it's you know i'm i'm hooked i'm hooked on crack okay we have three minutes of record time left and i have two questions to ask you and we have three minutes all right let's pretend we're on live tv okay here we go um okay so (laughs) if you were going to take a road trip across america you could take three passengers in the car from any time in history Mm. who would you take with you oof uh, okay, three people. Oof, that's tough. Well, I think Julia Roberts would be fun on a road trip. Really? And then to mix it up and make sure we party, Britney Spears. Okay, wow. You got the girl. You got a car. Now I got to get a dead dead lady in there. Oh, really? Yeah. It's going to be gonna, an old lady's trip? It's going to be a lady. Edith Piaf? Wow. That okay. would make me seem cool. Yeah. But what if I went... Nina Simone. Nina Simone. If you, Ooh, I mean, yeah. if you wanted good music. I mean, what if that would be the best podcast? Me on a road trip with Britney Spears, Julia Roberts, and Nina Simone. Yes. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. And last day on earth. If you knew you were living your last day on earth, who would you want to be with? What would you want to be doing? Britney Spears, Nina Simone, and <laughs> Julia Roberts. <laughs> 
We're drinking mojitos. We're sitting by a pool in Cancun. Jennifer Lofiot walks up, gives me a long hug. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. To see more great interviews, go to philcogan.com and subscribe to Bucket with Phil Cogan wherever you get your podcasts. Please consider rating and reviewing us. And follow Bucket, that's Bucket with an I-T, on Instagram and Facebook. Also, follow me on Twitter, at Phil Cogan. Today's podcast proudly brought to you by Bucket Nutrition. Great-tasting, high-performance nutrition to power your adventure. Don't forget to go to Amazon.com, search for Bucket Nutrition, and use promo code BUCKET10, that's Bucket with an I-T, and you'll get a 10% discount on all Bucket Nutritional products. Just wait until you try the Bucket Booster with Manuka Honey.